Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Before we get started, go hit the subscribe button. Give us the thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. If you're on your podcast player, give us five stars and leave a review. Do all the things and then hit pause. Pause it right now. Go over to thebulwark.com and sign up. Get the newsletter from me. I write like 7,000 words a week. I'm surely you would like some of them. Charlie Sykes <laughs> writes a great newsletter every week that's totally faux free. It's every great. day. We have podcasts by Mona Charon and we've got Will South. We've got all the best people with all the best words over at thebulwark.com and almost all of it is free for you. Go get it. All right. That out of the way, we have to start, I guess, by talking about Nashville, uh, another school shooting, another bunch of dead children. I don't know what to say about it, really. Um, this is one of those, like, semi-regular periods of despair that I get sent into, uh, and I just don't know what to do or say anymore, except for, this is, you know, everybody makes fun of thoughts and prayers, but, like, what else are we going to do but pray in this moment, right? I mean, there are there are other things you can do starting like with how you vote or the kinds of laws that you want to press. But in these moments, like really what else is there to do but pray for these poor, poor families? And guys, thoughts? Do any of you have something productive to say? Because I don't. Uh, I do think that there's other things to do besides thoughts and prayers. Although there is the moment of despair. I was just, I was just doing CNN talking about Mike Pence and why he should testify and not run for president. But the package before it, like the whole segment before it was about the shooting. And I was listening to this nine-year-old's pastor talk about the family. And I was, I don't know, there's been so many school shootings. I, I can't tell whether it's because I have kids now, but they hit me. They always hit hard. Nothing hits harder than these school shootings. But someone having kids and like when you see the pictures of kids, I like I can't tolerate it. Like I, like I, my body can't tolerate it physically, and I am so sad. So I'm like going into my segment, crying, and I'm thinking about how, you know, we're about to talk about politics, right? I'm there to talk about horse race politics, and the politics of this does matter. Like that's the other thing besides the thoughts and the prayers is like you make changes. And Tim talks about this sometimes where he says, you know, this is the one thing I've really changed on since Trump, you know, because people are like, well, you're Democrats or whatever. And I'm always like, I don't know, my positions on a lot of things haven't changed that much. On guns, it has. I think that the way that we approach guns in this country is insane. I think that the weapons that people can get their hands on are insane. And the thing about this shooting, too, when you say you have nothing to say, this this shooting is, is actually, it's going to create a different type of discourse, right? Because you have a trans, well, actually, we have, we're not quite sure. Yeah. We have somebody who has different pronouns on their LinkedIn. So there's this whole discourse now around trans. There's going to be a whole discourse around how the media treated the shooting. And it's going to fit right into the culture wars. People are not going to talk about solutions, legislative solutions. They're going to instead fight about this part of it. And so I actually think this one is going to stay with us a little longer than some of the other ones because the right is usually very keen to put these things in the rear view as quickly as possible. They come up with a thing to say, we need more armed security, we need guns in schools, it's a door problem, and then they like want to get out of it, right? New news cycle. This time, we don't really know, but because it sort of fits into the culture war discourse and the way that the right is using transgender right now as like very much a, a wedge issue, I think it's going to go on longer than the normal cycle. Tim, I mean, I my despair in this is is rooted. I mean, the, the first order is again like the, the dead children, but the second order is that when I look at our political system, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, that if we have like 35% of the country, which is so wedded 
to their hand penises, as you called them in one of your best pieces for the bulwark, that they are willing to trade school shootings for, you know, all of their gun stuff, then because of our system, that's enough to stop us from ever having change. Well, in some ways, I have a little less despair than you. And in, in, in other ways, I'm going to add a, uh, a little additional layer of despair. What is it? The congressman from Tennessee, Burchett. Never heard of this guy, really. And so, you know, you, you love when you're somebody's a backbench congressman you haven't heard of, and then they just appear on your screen for the first time, and it's like, oh, well, my, my introduction to Congressman Burchett is that he just doesn't want to even try to do anything about school shootings. It's like, and eh, not fixable. So, I mean, we've gotten to that point, actually, where there's been all this great NRA reporting, you know, about how they handled Columbine and how they handled Newtown. And, you know, how they were like, well, we, we need to have some fig leaves, right? Like, we need to have something, right, to say. Like, the nihilism has set in to such a degree now that there's at least some of these guys are just willing to say, eh, I don't I don't even need to do that. Like, I don't even need to do the door control thing, like, two-step, right? right? I can, that is the logic of their position. The logic right. of their position is total unfettered access to guns is a paramount right Yep. And if one of the unfortunate downstream consequences of that is that a bunch of kids get killed every year in schools, I'm sorry, but that's a price we're willing to pay. That is their position, right? It is. Uh, so kudos to Congressman Burchett for actually saying it out loud, as ghoulish as it is. But, you know, and we did pass the first gun reform bill in 30 years almost last year. I think that there's good reason to believe that red flag laws have make a difference. Um, you know, my friends who are in the you know gun activism space who send me all this stuff you know pointed to as crazy as Florida is and as much bad stuff that has happened and as many mass shootings have happened in Florida you know where, where they put in red flag laws in Colorado where they put in red flag laws it's not a panacea it's not going to stop mass shootings because of all these other problems that we have but it is making a difference on the margin so and I, the numbers I think are are so overwhelmingly bad for the unfettered access to guns side of things that, you know, eventually you'd think that in time, like that works against them. That isn't much of a salve for the problems of the short term. And frankly, in the short term, it's getting worse in certain states. We're passing constitutional carry in some of these red states. But, but you know, the math was working against them, just like the math worked against them on gay stuff. It's not working, working against them fast enough. But, um, but you know, I, my Instagram is interesting on this front. Like, you know, I don't know everybody in my, you know, college friend groups voting, you know, trajectory, but a lot of them voted for George Bush. I guess I do know that, right? And I and you see a lot of like people who don't comment on politics like posting fuck this, you know, type memes and and things on on Instagram after these sorts of things. So, you know, I I do think that there's movement but not fast enough. I don't know. Serge, I, I wanted to change the subject uh, to another element of this. But. but before you do, who's the guy you interviewed? Was it Chris Murphy? Chris Murphy, yeah. He was on the segment before me. And he was, you know, saying that, like, this has to be an issue that people vote on. Right? It has to be an issue that people make a, a central issue that they vote on. And I think if you held an election tomorrow, it might be a, an issue that people vote on. The problem is, is that, and again, going back to, like, I knew I had to be on TV and so I'm listening to them talk and I'm getting wound up and like emotional listening to it. And like, that's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling to have. And so I wonder, I, for the first time, it sort of occurred to me that if you are a campaign operative and you are thinking about like, what is going to make people vote for my person? If unless they have like the tide of rage right in front of them, 
if you bring it back up when it's not the tide of rage following the actual shooting, that actually it's the kind of thing that people are like, why are we, I don't want to talk about this. It makes me feel bad inside. It makes me feel sad inside. And so that campaigns are actually loath to put it front and center as an issue because people don't want to talk about things that are like that sad. Like, is that, is, am I wrong about that? Like, I was just thinking for the first time about it as an actual campaign issue and why that might not work. This is one where, again, I'm open to being wrong about this, but people haven't tried it. The Democrats were in a place for a long time where they're on the wrong side of the gun issue politically, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that this conventional wisdom set in. The type of people that make ads in the Democratic Party are all like 60 for the most yeah. part, right? And so they have this institutional memory of, oh, this is such a loser. We've got to run away from this issue. So many of our candidates have gone down because of the NRA in these these states that are red states now. And I just don't know if that's true anymore. I mean, certainly it's true in certain districts, in certain states, in certain places in the country. But I, I do think that the math on this is changing. And you saw a little bit of it in this past midterm from the Democrats. But I don't know. I think I've mentioned this in this podcast before. I think that there are some very popular issues related to guns that you could run very hard-hitting, evocative ads that might make a difference. I've suggested this ad to several people that I've spoken to in the gun activism space, but I don't know, I don't, is this going to change everybody's vote? No, but I do think it'd wake people up if they were watching, if we had some kind of ad where, you know, the camera is going through a high school and you, you know, you've got the jocks and you've got the nerds, you've got the goths. It's like mean girls, you're in a cafeteria and then they stand up and everybody's carrying an AR-15. And you're like, do you want everybody in your kid's school to be able to get an AR-15? Because Tim Burchett Ugh. does, right? Ugh. I don't know. I Ugh. think that I think ads like that would make a difference because yeah. that's true. I, that is the law yeah. in some of these states where an 18-year-old, which is a senior in high school, can go online and buy an AR-15 without parental permission. Without a, I, that, like that's the law in certain states in this country. So yeah. But I think that could work. I don't know. I, I don't. Would the Republicans make that argument? Oh, you know, you're taking advantage of these deaths or these people. I, maybe, but it's like, no, you are, I and mean, you're the reason why this is. Your, your laws, the reason why this has happened. Don't get mad at my ads. Change the laws. This was, yeah. we couldn't make this ad if the law was like this. So you'd need an outside group that wasn't attached to a candidate for that. Yeah, uh, I think any individual candidate wouldn't wouldn't be able to stomach. I think Chris Murphy could pull it off. Yeah, know. maybe. Maybe I mean, that's but true. He's running in Connecticut, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. if he were to run for president, if we were in a hypothetical world where, you know, Chris Murphy is presidential candidate, I don't know, which is not going to be our world. But What about tying it to crime? I mean, one of the things that I think Democrats, yeah. I think that they, they get really cowed on the crime stuff and for some reason don't pivot into making it about guns. I agree with that. They should, right? This is what Clinton did. Clinton coupled assault weapon ban with uh, tough on crime stuff, right? I just think a general, you know, we need fewer weapons on the streets, fewer weapons in our schools. These are crimes that are killing people and try to own the crime issue in a way that Democrats, it's not even defense. They just like hide from this. Yeah, I asked Brooke Jenkins about that. More cops, more guns, right? Like that feels like bumper stickerable. Or more cops, yeah. fewer guns, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just rage for a second before Please. we pivot off of this? Because I, uh, the truth is, I kind of respect that nihilist position that, uh, who's the congressman you mentioned? Burchard. Burchard. Right? Look, it is a coherent intellectual position to say something like, the constitutional right to bear arms is deeply important. It is important in America in ways in which it is not important in other countries. 
It is an enmeshed part of our constitutional order, and it should be, and there are going to be downstream ill effects of it the way there is for free speech protections, right? Free speech protections means you're going to get Nazis marching in Skokie, Illinois. And it is important to protect this right, even though we should just understand that we're going to have bad effects, like uh, children being murdered in their schools many times a year. And I'm sorry it's regrettable, but it's important. I disagree with that, but it's a it's an ethos. Say what you will about it. What drives me fucking insane is these legislators and people posing for pictures for Christmas with their AR-15s, with their 10-year-olds holding AR-15s and stuff, as if it's all just fun and games. Yeah. Right? It is one thing to take the, the intellectually serious position of right to bear arms is intrinsically important and there are going to be problems with it and we're sorry, but we've got to defend it. And another thing to use children as props with guns that they should not be holding. And those people can just fucking rot in hell as far as I'm concerned. Like that really, I'm sorry, is that too hot? That thing really just drives me insane. And here's something that I've been grappling with on the whether it's too hot side, because I don't know, and I, this is my not my party this week. It's not too hot, right, on the merits, right? It's ridiculous, right? Like that 10-year-olds shouldn't be holding rifles, right? I, I don't like. I don't understand why that isn't a universal position. It's pretty clear. But we haven't seen yet, I guess, that there's some sort of manifesto from this transgender um, shooter, maybe transgender. We're, we're still kind of working through the details. But we've seen a lot of these manifestos lately from these kids that have been radicalized by 8chan and the white nationalist stuff. You know, the Buffalo shooter was reading about Christchurch and the Charleston shooter. I hate that I have to remember every, every one of these little Nazis' motivations. But the thing that worries me about this that makes me like think about our everybody's responsibility and it sucks that always the the responsible among us who don't want to see the world burn have to like think about these things because the other side doesn't but like it shouldn't be surprising that we might head towards a place where there are left-wing teenagers you know who decide to try to do mass shootings against maga folks right like this is just the downside of tribalism altogether that's what yeah. i tried to write about and I tried not to say this explicitly in the article because I, I didn't want to not recognize and not hear and value people's righteous anger because people do have a right to be angry and, and to be enraged and to want people to burn in hell who, who like, are refused to do anything about this. But at the same time, like, I do think we all just have to step back and think about like the temperature that we are creating online. I don't want to live in a world where we have 400 million guns for 300 million people or however, whatever the breakdown is now. I don't want to live in that world. I'd rather live in a world where there are like 30 million guns with people who were permitted, who got their gun because they went to a couple classes and whatever, were responsible. But that's not the world we're in. All right. Well, then I take it back. No, no, I'm not then asking you to take it I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm just, this is a conversation thing, no, right? It's, it's like it's if we live well in this world, right, that where this, these guns proliferate everywhere, then if you have easy access to guns and you think that there, there's someone else in your neighborhood that's your fucking enemy then, you know, all it takes is 0.1% of those kids to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just take, I'm just going to grab this gun and go shoot up the whatever. And so that's just something I think that is kind of semi-permanent here. And I don't really know what the answer is to it. I think that's in some ways even more inexpiable than the, than the, the gun problem. But like, I don't know. That's just something that I was thinking about yesterday. I don't know. We don't know what this I don't want to project anything onto this individual situation. Who knows what happened to this person that, that, that radicalized them. But 
I don't think that we're very far away from a situation where we have both right-wing and left-wing teens who have easy access to AR-15s that, that do shit like this. All right, well, take it back. Don't rot in hell if you are a congressman who is taking pictures of your family with AR-15s for Christmas. But, like, go sit in a corner. Go sit in a corner and think about what you've done. Is that better? <laughs> Hey Tim, were you going to pivot to the transgender conversation? No, this was that. This is kind of where I what I meant. Again, I hate to be like I'm waving my finger at you, next level listener, who's a responsible person who said something really hot about the evil ghouls, like at the New York Post and Don Jr. and MTG, who you know went out there and been like, did the hormones do this? It's like fuck you, okay, fuck you. I get that, but my point is that. You know, it's a Christian school. Again, we don't know what happened in the situation, so I don't want to say, but I just like, they are, I'm sure, wrong, and they don't know the facts, and they're fuckers for bringing it up. But one of these days, that may, and maybe it ends up being this one, we will see, like, they're going to get what they want, right? Which is, oh, here's our little Antifa mass shooter, right? And, oh, you know, here is their manifesto that we found online, and they hate MAGA because they spent too much time listening to whatever, you know, liberal TikTok star, and I just I worry about all that while at the same time recognizing that at, at this point the like this notion that Elon Musk and Benny Johnson are out there being like maybe we need to investigate the transgender issue. There have been three transgender shooters. <laughs> like like oh really? Okay great. There have been twenty three thousand cis het you know mass shooters. So so this is the point I I actually wanted to make. Yeah. And it's such an obvious one, but like this crowd that has decided that this shooter's potential transgenderism is the essential factor in this. And uh, even Eric Erickson has been see like gender dysphoria, you know, this is a mental problem. This should, this should count under red flag laws. And, and is he really gender dysphoria should count under red flag laws. Great. I, I don't want to mischaracterize it since narrative, but I think I'm, I'm fair in saying that's the gist that is not verbatim, but he's been actually particularly terrible. Like during this one in the way that he's been talking about things. This is a crowd that if you talked about, let's say, toxic masculinity or white nationalism or any of these other things that become characteristics, because almost all of the shooters are men. How about just that? Just forget anything else. They're men. If you were to say something like, boy, something must be going on with men. A lot of them are turning into mass shooters. Uh, Don't see a lot of women doing this. There would be a not all men, this is terrible, feminist, whack jobs. And and I just I kind uh, of agree with this policy proposal. Actually, by the way, are we going to just all men deserve red flag laws and have to have a higher bar for gun purchasing than women? (laughs) Because you could act now. That is a reform. Maybe me and Aronson can meet in the middle on that. Women can be can have easy access. All women have guns. Yeah, yeah, not men. All men have an immediate red flag law on their on their (laughs) little driver's license that they that they need to prove the court that they're not. Yeah, he was basically asking whether gender dysphoria would count as a, like, mental health problem. And we don't even know. And, like, literally, and I don't know if you've watched, did you guys watch the footage? Yes, I did. I did, too. The sirens? Oh, my God. I just... Okay, but you watched the one of the cops' body cam footage? Yeah. Did you watch the footage of the shooter? No. So, there is footage of, you see the shooter, shoot through the doors. So the doors, this is like the question about the doors. The doors are glass. And so they're locked, but they are shot through with the gun, right? So it's shot through. 
And then you watch the shooter prowl the hallways looking for people to shoot. And I, I guess I don't quite know how to say this. Like, we, we literally don't know any, is this person trans, transgender? There is something to me, like if somebody showed me that footage and was like, what do you see here? I would be like, that's a girl. That's a girl with an AK-47 prowling the hallways of a school. And it's a girl who looks like a, you know, like with a, like a hat on and stuff, but small. And there's something about it that is disorienting in a way that like, I don't know, that made me like, all this stuff just like made me like extra sick, I guess. And it, it's when things you do have this idea in your head, like these are these are men and like, or even like the boys when you see them, right? And they're like all strapped up, but, but this person is wearing tactical gear, like the chest armor and stuff, has a gun and just walking around. And like the smallness of the person is part of what just caused me. Anyway, now we're going to have to have this debate about whether or not the LinkedIn pronouns are the true thing or like, is this person transgender, like whatever. And that side debate is going to be really gross. And in a way that it's not about when it's just like, oh, we all assume it's men. Yeah, I guess it's gross, but it's also the door control thing, right? This, you know, remember we did this all with Uvalde. It's like, oh, the door was open. And I kept saying, and I got heights with a couple of like of the more responsible pro-gun people online who I was like, what are you talking about that the door was unlocked? I was like, great. But the guy had like three ARs. You realize that there are windows in schools, right? He could have just shot through the fucking window and climbed in the window. There's always going to be something that's, you know, I was like, have you ever been to a school? Like, you don't, you don't think that there are going to always be ways in, right? So that was the one that time. And now, you know, this time we're going to have to deal with the hormones. But I, just my final thing on this, I know JV wants to move on, is the sound from that. You know, there's, there's so much tragedy to talk about always. You're focused on these families and these poor little kids and the police and the, the parents. But, like, the other kids in that school... And it is haunting, you know, these kinds of like, you know, and, yeah. and, and you, they see the picture of the kid going through the bus. I don't know. I, I also, uh, you know, may for another day, just think that the trauma that we're putting these, these kids through yes. with the active shooter drills and having to listen is just like, it's hard to measure the impact on that. And can I just say just actually, so Tim, Tim talked about his social media feed. So on mine, I had a friend from college who was posting a dad posting about his kids were in a school two miles away. All those schools were also locked down. And when Sandy Hook happened, I also knew people who were in surrounding schools. They all locked down too. And they're not drills when they lock down, when somebody's in that like, you know, radius of miles, which means these kids are experiencing live shooter, not drills, but the sense that it's happening to them, not even if they're not in the school. And so it, it's not just uh. in the school. It pervades, right? And those parents, right? The parents are getting text messages. Just imagine as a parent. Like, this is the stuff that I cannot take. You're a parent and, like, there's some shooter somewhere and you don't even know. But they're telling you that it's in the area of your kid's school. They've locked your kid's school down. Like, the trauma everyone is experiencing from these things. And it's like, this is the same crowd that is right now talking about, like, drag shows like hurting kids. Oh, yeah. We got to get Heather has two mommies out of the school library because your kids can be totally traumatized for life if they know that one of their classmates' parents are lesbians or something. But you know what? All the kids in America now have to do active shooter drills once a month, basically. This is what my six-year-old has to do. And, you know, he, he flipping hates it. Like, you know, it's terrifying him every single time. But, you know, that we just got to live with. I'm so sorry. Great. Fuckers. All right. Uh, fabulous. 
Let's okay. transition to more good stuff. Let's All talk right. about just, politics. Just our, pro- our producer did put the tweet in here, and so it just said, Eric Erickson tweeted, so if we prohibit people with mental health issues from purchasing guns, that would include people suffering from gender dysphoria, right? That was close. If we include all men past puberty, I'll, I'd support that bill. It's a deal. <laughs> We're going to meet in the middle. Bipartisanship. So I guess we have to talk about other things, too. Donald Trump went to Waco, held a big rally. Other uplifting topics? Let's just yeah. Yeah, let's move to Donald Trump going the to the, this, yeah, the spot of a, a groomer. David Crush was a groomer. I know that it was just a coincidence that we were doing this on the 30-year anniversary of... Just of, a coincidence. Uh, Not at all a big wink-wink about the deep state and Q. And all. I do find the Crush thing interesting because so Crush was literally doing Q stuff, right? Yeah. But yet I get the sense that Waco is a touchstone for all the Q people about the power of the deep state, right? I mean, it, 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 right. That never doesn't land, right? That actually the person that was doing the pedophilia in this case was not the deep state that went to, you know, stop uh, the pedophilia. To, yeah, stop the pedophilia and save the kids. It was Koresh that was the pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, a fun fact. If you haven't watched, there's a good there's a good mini series on this you can watch if you're just not not quite up to speed on the particulars. Said a bunch of stuff, going to be your retribution. Some people are very concerned in Republican circles because the things he is saying could hurt Republican chances to win. Mm. And that's why they're concerning. Sarah, what'd you think? Was it everything you hoped it would be and more? Can I just tell you the thing that I am most struck by? Sure. Because I I actually think Tim could go through all the particulars of the insane (laughs) things that happen. But I just want to make one point, which is I, I look to see... How many people were there? And I believe the real count was 18,000, right? Which means that Donald Trump is still getting almost 20,000 people to fill a stadium. To go well, and spout. Let's not say fill. Wasn't okay, filled. That's fine. That's fine. All right. But here's my question. Can Ron DeSantis get 18,000 people into a stadium? No. So, Maybe so in Florida. You think? In the last month before the election. <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing this thing, right, where he flies in. Very theatrical. He flies in, walks off the steps of the airplane, right onto the stage and the podium with Ted Nugent and other selected insane people. And I saw a couple of reports where it was like that the applause was slightly more tepid or like less whatever. But like there's still 18,000 people coming to see this guy. And I just that's bigger than any other candidate could get. The current sitting president for sure. Joe which, Biden couldn't do 18,000. Which I think is a good reason to say that the, these are not everything, right? But the intensity of, like, this committed level of support is still there anyway. And for context, I mean, Beyonce, for example, you know, she's packing the football stadium out here, okay? So, you know, 70,000 people, 80,000. So, you know, he's not at Beyonce level. It's more of like a, I don't know, Kenny Loggins. I'm trying to think of what who, who's drawing who's drawn 18,000, <laughs> you know? Like kind of somebody on, their, somebody on the way down. You know, even Madonna would do. More than 18,000 these days. So I worry about overanalyzing this as a reaction to myself, right? Because in 2016, I was like, oh, who cares? He's got a bunch of freaks that show up to these things. And, you know, Mitt Romney had a big crowd at, at Red Rocks in 2012, and he didn't win. And, you know, you like, <laughs> I do that thing in my head. It's like, this isn't that big of a deal. It's just 15% of these the party is freaks, and they all showed up for him. And, you know, then he goes on to win. And I was like, man, maybe yard signs and crowd size do matter more than I realize. Maybe I should I should check my priors on that. So I don't want to overreact the other way. I do think that it's dwindling. That Like Trump in Waco in March of 2016 would have been 
probably 40,000, maybe 50. You know what I, I, it did look a little smaller than the old days. The notion that like that it's this, you know, star that's dying out. That's, that's more intense. But it's 2023, Tim. That's like, we are so far out. Seven years in. I know. I know. Trust me. I I wish it was eight people. You know, I, 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 how could anybody support this? And we'll get into this with Christy and all these guys, but but it is smaller, so there's something to that, right? Like, uh, th- there's some shrinkage, as Charlie wrote in his newsletter this week. Is it enough shrinkage to like have somebody go beat him? You know, probably not. We'll see. But um, it is alarming. And what's happening at these things? I mean, you have the January sixth choir is there. Like the January sixth choir is there. Yeah, they have a song. It was number one on iTunes. Now, nobody buys iTunes anymore because. People have Spotify or other streaming services. I'd love to see the raw number, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know how big that raw number is. But still, it's not nothing. It's Morgan Wallen and him, you know, up there at the top of the rankings. I don't know who that other person is. He's a country singer. Um, I don't really know him either. He covers a Jason Isbell song that I love. Jason Isbell. I also like Jason Isbell. It's the only reason I know this Morgan Wallen character. But uh, they are singing an ode to the people that tried to overturn the government. I, you know, sometimes you just have to say out loud explicitly what this is like that they have a hymn that is honoring the people that attempted a coup to install a game show host as an unelected autocrat in our country and that's like oh yeah we're number one on itunes and and like most of the republican party is either on board with it or kind of like oh, i don't really like it but why do you know we'll have to see how it goes like that's utter madness imagine i, I like to do the time machine game like imagine going back to 2013 and we're like here's a video Donald Trump is in Waco, Texas on the 30th anniversary of the Koresh incident. And he has this huge crowd there, and they're, they're singing a hymn in Ode to the People that Stormed the Capitol. Here's the video of the Capitol storming. And by the way, you'll support it, Rob Portman. <laughs> you still won't have rule out supporting never. that person again. Like, <laughs> like, you know, whoever. You'll support that, Kevin McCarthy. It's like like everybody would be like, you're a mad man, like you're a liberal extremist. So the whole thing is like is just utter lunacy. And they have signs that say witch hunt. You watch this? That's what the signs mm-hmm. are in the back. You know, they they pre-make the signs. These weren't homemade signs. It's like the Trump campaign hands out to everybody, and it's not like inflation bad or you know, <laughs> shining city on a hill. It's witch hunt, is what the sign says. And, and, like, that is the animating element of this. Now, Gwyneth Paltrow is the victim of a witch hunt, by the way. That's just a quick aside, but Donald <laughs> no, Trump I don't, is not. I don't want to reduce us to, to yard sign counting, but, wanna, you know, I do keep track of the, the houses that I pass in my daily commute with Trump flags. My daily commute. In, my, of course, in my daily errands In New Jersey. And uh, a lot of those, the original Trump flags from 2020 have come down. And instead, the, what I see is, I may have the wording wrong, but it's something like Trump 2024, this time there are no rules. Oh. Or the, like the gloves are off or something like that. But the theme really is retribution. And he's got that right again. He understands what his people want. He's right there. I'm not sure about that. Is that true? I think The so. retribution part they want, I don't know. He did 50 minutes of this. Like of just the, oh, the witch hunt and the Alvin Bragg and the... Department of Justice is at the deep state is out to get me and he's an animal and and pencil neck shift and right like 50 minutes and then he does like five minutes on Ron DeSantis crying begging him for his endorsement like a dog that like makes me laugh but the crowd seemed a little bit mixed on that point you know and then an hour into this thing it's like 
you know, he starts talking about the border or whatever. Yeah. I think he's right, though, because what he does is he positions it smartly because it is they're not doing this to me. They're doing this to you. Yeah. And you know what? Alvin Bragg and uh, that lady prosecutor down in Georgia, they're doing it to yeah, you. Her, that lady, the lady part's not the part they're going to focus on. Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I think that plays. Now, maybe with a smaller section of the, maybe it's only, maybe that only plays with 52% of the Republican primary voters instead of like, Maybe it's 42. Or maybe it's 42, 42. Right? Maybe it's Or maybe it's 38 where he was at 48 in 2016, right? I think sure. it's, he wound up with 48% of the Republican primary vote. But I think it plays. And the people who say, oh, he's focused on personal grievance and voters won't respond to that, I think that's not accurate as an analysis of what's going on. Maybe a smaller number of voters will respond to it. What do you think about that, Sarah? There's a segment of gettable people that he's losing over this, I think. Do you think that that's wrong? So here's the thing. I can't remember if I've said this to you guys or not. Maybe JVL. I've certainly said it to reporters. So there's all last week, all anybody wanted to know is about Ron DeSantis. And if I was seeing in the focus groups, Ron DeSantis slipping. Now, we were seeing it all over the polling, right? In the aggregate polling, we're seeing Ron DeSantis had been slipping. I wasn't really seeing it in the focus groups. Now, the focus groups tend to be a lagging indicator oftentimes because these are just random people we found who are willing to participate in focus groups who voted for Trump twice. And so they tend to, like, things get filtered down to them through the news. And so, like, the number of times that a reporter asks me, I had somebody call me and be like, do you ever hear about Vivek Ramaswamy in your focus groups? And I was like, no, never. And then, like, <laughs> two weeks later, everybody was talking about Vivek Ramaswamy in the focus groups. And so sometimes, like, the political media is on to stuff before. Same thing happened with CRT in the focus groups. You know, I was like, I, I remember when this call, and I was like, no, it's never come up. And then, like, it was all I heard about yeah. for the next, you know, couple of months. And so I have not seen this, like, drop-off in Ron DeSantis' support. I continue to hear from voters, two-time Trump voters, say, I think Trump has too much baggage. I think we should move on. The only thing that I have seen that would indicate a little bit of a shift is that the language that Trump is using to knock DeSantis is starting to creep in. The idea that he is a regular politician is something I've started to hear from people who aren't sure about Ron DeSantis. And people who are like more, slightly more plugged in, they've heard of Ron DeSantis, they know who he is. A lot of the people who are more interested in Trump, it's because Trump is still all they know. They don't listen to tons of media or they just like, they like Trump and they haven't learned a lot about DeSantis. And so they're going to look now when they go look about DeSantis, they really get Trump's version of DeSantis now Trump trashing him. And I think that's part of what is, is happening. But like the thing that I don't think anybody knows that is just really unknowable right now is how big is the chunk of people who want to move on from Trump to DeSantis. And it's sort of DeSantis's quality be damned, right? They just like, they need someone to move on to. They've decided DeSantis is the guy and we're there. There's a, that's a group. It's a real, it's a chunk. How big is that chunk? I mean, the polling's all over the place about that. Then there's the always Trumpers and then there's still the maybe Trumpers in the middle. And I think there's this open group of people for whom Ron DeSantis had not yet been defined. And this is, I think, one of those things that was a little, we anticipated it. We've been telling people it's going to happen. But Trump is defining him for those people, and that's hurting DeSantis. Just one th thing that's DeSantis yeah. on the polls really quick that's interesting. His faves are still really high. That's true. Trump's faves are, are lower than DeSantis's by like six points. Crash Hour wrote about this in Axios that, that in the early states, uh, DeSantis is, is sort of stronger, has more strength than these national polls are suggesting. And they had the favorables for DeSantis up around like 77. Trump's down at 69. 
Problem is that DeSantis has a lot of room to fall and Trump's are post-insurrection, right? Trump's on his floor. Trump's at his floor. Maybe he's not totally at his floor, but like all the bad stuff is baked in. DeSantis has not taken the hits yet. And so his favorables, they're still really high, but like they got a long, they can drop. I'm just saying his his ballot has gone down while his favorables have stayed. So that Mm -hmm. just means that's recoverable. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's going to recover it. I'm just saying it's recoverable. It's not like these people have heard what Trump is bleeding and been like, okay, I'm done with this guy. He's Jeb Bush, right? They're they're not saying that yet. Just one really quick thing on the Crosshour article about the early state polls. I thought that was a classic DeSantis world leak yeah. you know, to somebody that wants it to happen. The POS that did the poll, Public Opinion Strategies, is like the establishment Republican polling firm. Yes. I mean, like if you're going to just paint a generic establishment Republican polling firm, it'd be these guys. So, you know, they hate Trump. And then they're like, oh, DeSantis and Trump are tied in New Hampshire in a head-to-head. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's actually not that good. And the multi-person ballot with Vivek and Nikki in there, and it's like Trump's winning by 12 in New Hampshire. And I was like, well, that's what he won by last time. That's right. I love Josh. Josh is good. And an analyst, but I just think that some people were overreading how good of a poll that was for DeSantis. Josh is a good analyst, but like he's also part of the world, yeah, that wants DeSantis to happen. Yeah, and yeah. so I could drive a truck through a bunch of the loopholes yeah. in those numbers. And and even, JBL, you were just citing a statistic about the number that Trump got in the Republican primaries. And I've heard Tim push back on this idea that, like, Trump was going to win the primaries no matter what. But, like, yeah. if you go back and look at his early state numbers, remember, he lost Iowa. Mm-hmm. He came in second to Ted Cruz. Iowa doesn't count. Mike Huckabee won Iowa. Rick Santorum won, won Iowa. Iowa's meaningless. It's a caucus okay. of a bunch of crazy religious people. But the point is he came in second with, I can't remember what, but the next states that he won, the next two states before he really popped in Nevada, were in the 30s. Yeah, but there are blowouts. There are no. blowouts. We should do a whole episode on this. He would have beat Marco head-to-head in South Carolina, and he would have beat John Kasich head-to-head like a drum in New Hampshire. So I think I think that's fine. I think that's fine. But, it, but I think my point is that that dynamic can persist. And that's the thing that, like, Trump can win in those early states with yeah, basically his floor. That's true. Is my point. Yeah. His committed floor. That's why you need one other candidate who can really consolidate support. The problem for Ron DeSantis is that if he loses the sheen of inevitability as the consolidatable candidate, then things fracture and you're really backed into that dynamic. So that's why the man we all need is, <laughs> let, me, let me look, hold on, Chris Christie. Christopher C. Christie. So I did a little bit of a rant yesterday. Let's hear a it. A newsletter that you guys can can go read. Let's do an audio version. So I, I said basically Chris Christie is the worst never Trumper. And that, uh, you know, I fully, fully understand that if you want to stop the aspiring autocrat, you will wind up having to hold hands with some pretty disgusting people. And Chris Christie is one of those. And, you know, I don't want to be too pure and we should welcome converts and all of that. That saying... This fucking guy, as Sarah's interior voice likes to say, really is the worst. And uh, up until late last night, when he went and reversed course again to Josh Crashour, he refused to even say that he wouldn't vote for Trump again if Trump was the nominee. Right? You know, we, we got all the way through his big, you know, he did his speech up in New Hampshire. He was shucking and jiving through that with whether he would or wouldn't. And he had appeared to tell Laura Ingram that he would vote for Trump as the nominee, although he didn't actually quite use those words. And then with all, I guess he got some donor pushback yesterday because last night 
you know, again, he could have made this clarification at any point. He he gave an Axios exclusive and told them, yeah, yeah, no, if Trump's the nominee, I just, I can't do it. But he made, made sure to note he could not possibly vote for Joseph Robinette Biden because of what an extremist he's been. <laughs> Couldn't vote for either of these guys. So count Chris Christie as a vote for Edmund Burke. And <laughs> Chris Christie is like, oh, it is so outrageous that he would have the January 6th choir out there. Agree. And it's like, how, how, I mean, how could we have a pro-insurrectionist choir in an event? You could never vote for this guy. Okay, great. You'll vote for his opponent. No. I don't know. Even Stephen. <laughs> Joe Biden's kind of old, and I think he spent too much on COVID. Right. And you just look at the amount of this. The, the, his policies when it comes to infrastructure are out of bounds, good sir. Uh, which is funny because Trump, one of his retroactive justifications for being with Trump in 2016 was, I, I just, I had to stop Hillary Clinton because she was such a unique threat to America. That I, you know, I'm sorry. I was, I was pushed into the little it. old man that just owned him. Yeah, when Christie was like, how could I have known that Trump would be the kind of president he was? None of us could possibly have realized. Yeah, and the little guys, well, I did. Yeah, I know. No shit. And everybody laughed mm-hmm. at him. It's like, oh, wait, so you're coming into this, uh, this race, you're raising the outro for being in this race is that you can beat Donald Trump on a debate stage and you just got beat by a 67-year-old named Saul at a New Hampshire town hall <laughs> in a debate. <laughs> I was like, I'm a, little concer- I'm a little concerned if that's really your strength. Well, and also it, it calls into <laughs> mind, this is the other thing. The other, again, fully understanding that you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, fully understanding that, as Churchill said, the only thing worse than bad allies is no allies. I understood all of that. Christie has demonstrated again and again that his judgment is terrible. But he's also demonstrated that he doesn't actually talk straight and do the truth. This is a guy whose whole shtick is like, well, I'll be the the straight talker. And he's just tying himself into into knots, which suggests to me that he's useless as an ally. I'm all for useful allies. Can I read one quote from my book? It's a quote from The Dispatch, actually. I quoted an interview that Chris Christie did with folks over at The Dispatch. He's talking about life in the post-governorship and like why he felt like he needed to be engaged in the Trump campaign. Here's a quote. You know, I was talking to another governor who's coming off the end of his term. I said to him, look, one of the things you need to know is the music stops. You watch your successor get sworn in. The trooper takes you back to your house. You wake up the next morning and they're gone. The cameras are gone. The phone calls stop and the music stops. And you got to figure that out. What do I substitute in for that? You got to eat your feelings. You don't need to hear any other word that Chris Christie says. You don't need to see hear a single word from that fuck. Okay, he told you exactly why he's doing everything that he's doing. Because the music stopped, and he needs he needs to fill this hole in his heart. And if if he if, if filling the hole in his heart meant singing in the January sixth choir, he would do that. Right now, he's decided that he can fill the hole in his heart by being the one guy that can be. I'm a tough guy who can stand up to Trump. I hope he does it. I hope he does it. We'll see. I don't buy it. Sarah, be the better angel here. I will. I will. Talk me down. So I I think about what Chris Christie's got to be saying to these donors, right? People who would support this campaign because- Pass the dip. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Because people know- Are you going to eat that? (laughs) Stop. People know that- People know. Sorry, I'm sorry. I just, I just- That was good. He's been wolfing down the canapes like a warthog. Yeah. Oh, did you watch Succession? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. So Chris Christie's going in there and he's got a pitch. And his pitch is this. He has found the donors who really want to stop Trump. And he's saying, look, I made a mistake in 2016 when I took out Marco. 
uh, and I didn't focus on Trump. But I'm the only one who can go into this race and I will pound Trump and I will be useful in the effort to ensure that Donald Trump is not the nominee in 2024 by being the one person who's willing to go at him directly. Now, the problem is, is that Chris Christie, just like Ron DeSantis, had to learn a little bit of a lesson that when you're coming at Donald Trump, you're no longer fighting a one-front war. They're all used to fighting a one-front war against the Democrats, right? Maybe it's two fronts with the media a little bit, but like when you take on Donald Trump, you're now in a two-front war, at least, like major fronts, which is like, yes, you're saying I would never vote for Joe Biden. I'm against the Democrats. They're really bad. But this guy, this guy is awful. And, he, you know, they they always defer to can't win because it doesn't, you know, that saves them from saying like all the other bad things they want to say, but that voters won't tolerate. And I think that that is useful. I think that Chris could end up being Chris the useful engine. In in because uh, I read a lot of Thomas the Train to my kids, you know, and being oh, useful. Is very I thought I was like, that, we might need to cut that. Is that cancelable engine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a train engine. Hurt. He's a tank engine. It's a train yeah, stuff. You it's guys haven't done that yet because you're doing Paw Patrol. We don't do Thomas. She doesn't do Thomas. She yeah. does Paw Patrol. No, we don't That's do Paw fine. Patrol either. I banned Paw Patrol in my house. It's the one. <laughs> it's the one show that I banned. Jeez. Anyway, I, so could he not be useful in that regard? I think potentially so. Potentially not also. Potentially, Potentially not. not. Just really quick. Could he be on a stage? Can, can we all can imagine him and Trump on a stage? Let's say he even gets to the stage and, and he's up there and it's a room and they filled the room with MAGA people. And Chris Christie's like, Donald, you're stupid and you didn't know the policies and, I, you know, and you lost. You didn't even build the Fauci bullied you around. And, and Trump's like, you know who bullied you around, Fatso? Me. I sent you to White Castle to pick up my hamburgers for me. And, like, <laughs> you almost died of COVID, you pussy. And then everybody's like, ah, ah, Trump. Like, isn't that possible, too? Right? Like, we're all like, oh, we're certain Chris Christie could, is going gonna, is gonna to do it to Trump, but he did to Marco. But Trump's better at this than Marco. I don't yeah. Anyway, maybe. I hope so. It, it'd be fine. I'd be, I would be like, Chris... Eight years of failure, and I'm happy you could be our useful engine for this one day. I hope he's useful. I'm just saying, for the donors who are thinking about this, maybe maybe run them through some paces. Yeah, here's the thing. All we do is demand that these candidates, like, take the fight directly to Trump. Yeah. And he's the only one who's showing even the most moderate willingness to do so. I'll be for it. Yeah. I'll, if he does it, if he does it. has talked a lot about it. Never actually done it. It's been eight years. But if he does it, I'll be for it. Mike Pence doing a pretty good job taking the fight to, to Donald Trump. Less or more. Mike Pence, who actually did something to stop the coup. And and Christie, do you notice his thing? Christie was attacking Pence. He attacks Pence. And DeSantis, he's our useful engine. And it's like, he's going to do the same shit. Trump is going to make fun of him. And his hits are not going to land on Trump. And then he's going to take out one of the other guys. He can't help so this, himself. This concerns me. And I, you know, look, nobody wants to hear this. But uh, why not Pence? Right? I don't think, I don't think he's Pence? the answer to finish either. But if I was a donor looking to, to try to stop Trump, I would be looking at Kemp or Pence, not Chris Christie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let me just, let's talk about the Pence thing for that a second. That's awesome. Uh, look, That's awesome, Sarah. Because what I was on TV this morning to talk about was Mike Pence. Here's what I said. I'm going to say to you now what I said there because this is what I truly believe. <clears throat> Mike Pence wants to be in service to the United States of America. Should not be as a 2024 presidential candidate. He should stop 
needing to be subpoenaed to testify about his conversations around January 6th. He should do it voluntarily, and his service to the country should be in telling the truth and should be making sure that Donald Trump is not the president in 2024. These psychopaths who say to themselves, well, the way that I'm going to stop Donald Trump is by not testifying in front of a grand jury, but it's because the <laughs> voters will want me instead. I will take him out in a Republican primary. It is the most narcissistic, asinine, delusional thing that I have ever heard. And like Chris Christie is actually, I mean, I guess Mike Pence said he wouldn't support Trump, but like, let me just throw another thing at you. There's this piece about Yunkin right now in Politico about like, maybe Yunkin's the guy, maybe he could be the one. Amanda like tweeted at me this morning to say, I kind of get like Pence light vibes for Yunkin from voters. Same outfit. Okay, but let me tell you something. There's a difference. And I actually, I have not, JBL, I promise, remind me to write this piece for you. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut the show here and we'll just do a we'll just do a transcript of what you're about to say and turn it into a piece. Okay. There is a dividing line that we have not branded and we need to. I'm gonna TM it just like I do Republican Triangle of Doom, no longer with the finger signs, which is we should all talk about 2015 as BT, right? Before Trump and in the before times, right? 2015 BT. Anybody who was around then, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, this is part of where DeSantis is going to get himself in trouble because, like, the things that – it's not going to be DeSantis with pictures of him and an underage girl. It's going to be pictures of DeSantis and, like, H.W. Bush. Oh, Ryan. Those are going to take him out, right? (laughs) Okay. So if you were a politician in the before times – People see you as before Trump, and they say, we're not going back there. They can like Nikki Haley, fine. She's nice enough. Some people can say Mike Pence is a nice man, but they are from the before times. They are from before Trump. They are from 2015 BT, and they don't want anybody from that time. The one thing that people like Yunkin have going for them is because they are from AT, after Trump, the after times, right? And when you if, when, if you come of age during the sort of Trump cinematic universe, you have a, a benefit. Because one of the things I said to Amanda is, Look, the difference between Pence and Yunkin is that everyone knows who Pence is. They have an opinion on him. No one knows who Yunkin is. Like, you do a focus group about Glenn Yunkin, nobody's heard of him because he's the governor from Virginia. We all know who he is. But, like, average voters, this was always one of the things about Ron DeSantis that was sort of startling is that voters in Ohio and in Texas all knew who he was, which is unusual for that. Like, you gotta, you, you can't buy that kind of name ID. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that Mike Pence is so dramatically underperforming right now, even if he has 7%. He's got universal name ID, which means like he's being actively rejected. Yunkin has a chance to build a brand in the after times, unlike Nikki Haley, whose brand got forged in the before times. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think that's so right. you're basically you're all on board the Yunkin train. You're ready to take your vitamin Y. You think he's he's the future? Come on, say it. No, 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 no. no. Not exactly. Okay. I just listen, I, I do think that. If DeSantis continues to be this candidate who looks sort of unsure and is trying different things, can't find the right calibration, people will start looking around. The media will start looking around. Like donors will start looking around. Will Fox start looking around? That's the the important thing, right? Does Fox start looking around? Maybe. All right. Good show. Long show. Everybody hit like, hit subscribe, give us the five stars, do all those things. Sarah, Tim. Good to see you guys. Catch you next week and on Sunday. Bye. Bye.